to bow with me to pray. Father, I pray that you would enable us now uh, to be settled. We've worshipped you, I trust. And I trust you've received that worship. Now we come to worship you by listening. Um, So we pray that you would speak. uh, Help us to see that which is true. Work it in us in such a way that we would believe it. And then, of course, be compelled to do it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 17 again, as we've been doing for some time now, and just take up uh, verse 14. But Colossians in chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, I want, as I mentioned, if God will help me to take up verse 14, it reads, And above all these put on love which binds everything together, in perfect harmony. Now, when we come to this particular sentence, this particular verse about love, it's really no surprise to us. The Bible is all about love. We know that we're supposed to love God and to love each other. That seems clear to us. But while it's not a surprise, I have this caution, and that is that it's one of those expressions so common to us that it's easy for us to think, oh, we know all about that, and to sort of skip it as we read along or as we're thinking through. Uh, I must confess, I had a temptation to skip it, not because it's trite, but because it's so hard and so complex to understand what it really means to love. 
I mean, what definition of love can really hold forth? What, what can we really say about this? How can we sum this up in a, in a little statement that will say, yes, that's what love really is. We read from 1 Corinthians 13, and, and that's helpful, and, and, and that's biblical, and that's, that's God's truth about what love is, being patient and kind and so forth and all of that. But, but, but it's so complex. We know, if you're a reader much of the Bible or even... Christian literature, we know there's various Greek words for love. Uh, C.S. Lewis speaks of the four Greek words for love in a little book called The Four Loves. And, and we know that, that, that it's helpful to think that way because we know there's, there's some love that's unconditional. We know some love that's friendship kind of love. We know family kind of love. We know, we know erotic, even romantic kind of love. We, we understand that love has various nuances and English, we just sort of have one word for it, love, but even still, we, we know that there's a difference between loving chocolate and loving your spouse. Uh, we know there's a difference between loving your children and even loving someone else's children. You know, we know there's a difference between, between loving football and, and, and loving art. We know, we know the nuances of, of love in this particular way. And it's, it's frankly quite difficult. We wonder, is love a feeling. Must I feel when I love? Or is love, as some have put it, a decision? It's an act of our will. Is love merely actions or is there something inward that, that, about that as, as well? Uh, uh, what does it really mean to love? How is, in fact, my love for my spouse, my love for my children different than my love for a friend, my love for an employer, my love for someone I've never seen, or as Jesus puts it, even my love for an enemy? How does love differ in those various contexts, those various kinds of, kinds of ways? Now, it's, it's difficult. We know, of course... That what makes love so difficult and confusing is our selfishness, our self-centeredness, and, and all of that. And so love, as I come to it, uh, to speak about it even more dauntingly, to live it, is a very difficult thing. In fact, I've been recently attracted to two books um, by a man by the name of D.A. Carson. Uh, one book is entitled, The Difficult Doctrine of the love of God. And the other one is titled, Love in Hard Places. Uh, so you can tell where my mind goes when I think of love. Uh, loving the lovable is relatively easy. We don't quite know that we're doing it. In fact, it may be that we're not even doing it well because it may just simply be selfish to love the lovable. I don't know. But we find love. I find love in thinking it through. And what does it mean? And am I being it? A difficult thing. But it isn't surprising that we come across it in the Bible. It isn't surprising that we come across it here. We read this morning in one of our readings the, the great commandments, that Jesus, how Jesus summarizes the law. He says, uh, the first commandment is this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And he says, the second is like it. Wow, it's like it. That is to say that if you love God, then you'll do this as well. The two of them go together. They cannot really be separated. So if you're loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the second is like it. That is, it's about love. This time it's about loving those whom God has made, loving those whom God loves. So we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love 
as Jesus put it, our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus, as we know, upped the ante on that when he says, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another as I've loved you. Nothing new about the commandment to love that had already been there. What was new was the quality of that love, not simply as you love yourself, love your neighbor as you love yourself, but to love one another as I've loved you. So it's a love as Jesus loves. As we're reading through this list that Paul gives that we're to put on of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with each other and forgiving one another and so forth. Um, if, if you're just sort of reading that, not knowing what's to come, I think you would expect love to show up. You, you've been a little surprised it hasn't been thrown in there already that we're to put on love when we read the fruit of the Spirit that Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 5. He begins with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and so forth. He begins there and, and, and we have this sense that when he begins with it, he's saying that all these others are manifestations of love. Love is really the big one. It's the first one. It's the first and the priority. It's the first one I want you to begin thinking about. It's the, it's the, the thing that the Spirit of God is working in us as he's working Christ in us. It's the fruit of his presence in us. Love and, and, and joy. It's the, that joy is the joy that comes from loving the joy that comes from, 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 from being one who's not self-centered and stuck there but, but the joy of loving the peace that comes from, from being one who's living a life of love because that's real life and when you're really living a life of love then it should be a life of peace not that there aren't tensions obviously but when you're living a life of, life, of love that's the, lo- the life that we've been meant to live and thus it would be a life of peace and when you're being patient that's a manifestation of love and so forth. So we expect love then in that passage to, to be fleshed out by all of those other terms. And here Paul waits to the end to put it. But when he puts it, he puts it with, a, with an obvious exclamation. He explains in a sense why he leaves it to the end. Notice how he puts it if we begin in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with, with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's saying, he's saying now, now, there's something that's, that's, that's going to bind them all together, uh, like a clasp, like a belt. It's going to keep them all together. It's going to inform them all. And it's, as he puts it here, uh, it's above all these. It's sort of like the crowning grace. Um, if we're thinking through Paul's put-on clothing kind of metaphor, it's, 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 it's that piece of clothing that when you put it on makes everything else work. Now, being a guy, I've got a clue what that piece of clothing might be, but I'm sure there is one. Um, but, 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 but that's the sense here. It's, it's the one thing that, that if it's on, everything else is right. Everything else is in proper proportion. Everything else is expressing itself correctly because, because these things as well, compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience and so forth, all of these are manifestations of love. And, and so without love, they're nothing at all. That opening line of 1 Corinthians 13 takes my breath away. Because we see that there are acts that can be loving acts 
But if they're really not motivated by love, they're really nothing at all. That's just flabbergasting, he said. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The best poet, what might be considered to be the best prophet, what might be considered to be the best statement, statesman, the best lecturer, the most entertaining of all. He says, if you haven't love, if it's not informed by love, then really, now that may not sound to our ears, we might be quite impressed with these people. But the truth of the matter is, they're just like a, a gong, a horrible sound. Echoing in heaven. Nothing at all. And he says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, I'm thinking, I'm pretty hot if that's true. But he says, no, if that's not love, if that's not a love isn't a part of that, then it, that really doesn't matter. He says, you're nothing. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, which seems to me to be a step above giving away all that you have, but have not love, again, nothing. There's nothing to it. Nothing is profited by that. And that's just amazing to think of how important real love is. So Paul says it's above all of these things. If, if there's no love, then your acts of compassion really aren't. If there's no love, then your acts of kindness really aren't. If there is no love, then, then even the humility with which people may perceive you or the meekness with which you may carry yourself, really, uh, that isn't really humility and not real humility and meekness. There's something else going on causing you to behave that way. If it isn't love, it really isn't compassion and kindness and Humility and meekness. And even though you may give the appearance of being patient, if love is not the the motivation behind that, if that's not the heart of it, then that's really not real patience, really not real forbearance. And if you're forgiving, if you say you forgive and even act like you forgive, but it's really not from a heart of love, but but rather a point of convenience or or self-interest, if that's why you're reconciling in this situation, there's really no love, then that really isn't forgiveness, that really isn't reconciliation, that really isn't what he's talking about here at all, that really isn't godliness. And so you've gained nothing, you are nothing. There's just clanging around. And that's amazing to me, to think like that. He says it's above all of things. these things. It's in a sense beyond all of these things as the New American Standard uh, might have it. Um, and so it binds everything all together so that each one of these is, is, is in perfect harmony with one another. One author puts it like this. He says, is Paul saying that love is the grace of power that holds all the others together? There is certainly a sense in which love is the catalyst that empowers and energizes all other fruits of the Spirit. And who could deny that love is the spiritual lubricant, so to speak, that minimizes relational friction and makes the rest of the virtues function smoothly. It's the glue that unites all Christian qualities. It's the mortar that holds the bricks of Christian behavior together. And then I think he runs out of metaphors to mix, and he says this. He says, without love, knowledge is but a selfish an arrogant acquisition. You're just getting it. 
so that you can be smarter than everyone else, so that you can boss everyone else around, so that you can impress everyone else. The only reason for acquiring knowledge is so that you can be helpful, so that you can be loving. He goes on to say this. Without love, purity is self-righteousness. That is, remaining pure is just simply something one is doing for oneself to prove that I can be pure like this. The reason for purity is so that you may help, so that you may love, so that you may be a blessing to another. He says, without love, zeal is an aimless endeavor. Without love, hope is a fool's deception. Love, as it were, holds them all together in a single coherent package. So, So that is true, as Paul puts it here. That love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, Not only probably these virtues, all of them, but love binds us together as well. We're such a diverse bunch. He puts it in in verse 11. He says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And if we have eyes to see really into his culture, we'd realize that he's saying, We have here in Corinth the most amazing and diverse mix of people. We come from backgrounds and we come from understandings that could never, ever be unified and joined together unless we really love each other. And that's the very point of it, isn't it? We come from a relatively diverse background. We come from different educational backgrounds. We come from different parts of the country, some different parts of the world. We come from different religious backgrounds, certainly some with no church at all, some with uh, non-Christian faiths, some with various Christian traditions. And here we're now thrown all together, and God says, all right, do church, be a community. And how do we do that? Lest we love, really love, one another. And so it's love that binds us really all together, even as we, even as we are. And so, no surprise. It's no surprise that he speaks of love because in, in, as he begins even this letter, you remember his prayer from Colossians in chapter 1. He begins by saying that he asks the Father that you, that they, that us be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Well, what is more pleasing to God than if his people are loving each other? And so if indeed we're to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk in a way that's worthy of Christ, how else would we walk? other than by walking in love. At the end of chapter 2, you remember, he speaks about stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How else do we stop the indulgence of the flesh, that is, of our sinful, selfish natures? How else do we do that? Other than by loving one another. You see, when we're loving each other, then our anger is muted. When we're loving each other, we're not slandering one another. When we're loving each other, we're not being immoral. That is, we're not taking advantage of one another sexually. Because we're not hurting those that we love. Right? 
And even if it isn't with another person, we're not, we're not hurting our spouse because of the fantasies that we may have. We're not hurting our spouse because of the things that we're looking at. We're not hurting the people that are involved in that industry by employing them. And so love and loving others keeps us from immorality. I mentioned a few weeks ago, maybe months now, I don't know how long we've been in this passage. A great title of a sermon that I think of often by Thomas Chalmers called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The word expulsive means to expel. And he's saying when a new affection comes, then the old are expelled, right? And so when we come to love one another, then these other things can't coexist. They've got to go. And so to stop the indulgence of the flesh is not only to put off all of these things, but, but also to put on love because that expels them even as we, as we put it on. We're to love one another. Again, no surprise, it's crucial to us. John chapter 13, as I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus ups the ante when he speaks of loving. Verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But of course, Paul writes in Colossians 3 that we are to put on the new self. And that new self is the one that is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Meaning that we are to image God. You remember... That Adam and Eve were created in the Garden of Eden and they were to reflect God. They were created in his image. The reason that God looked at Adam before Eve was made and said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Wasn't just because he was making a mess of the garden and needed somebody to come in and help him with that. But he wasn't complete by himself as one person to reflect God because God is love. Now he could love God, Adam could, but now with Eve he could love Eve and thus the command that a man should leave his father and mother the two, uh, and be united to his wife, the two become one flesh, they should be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because in the face of the earth were to be those who would reflect God and the necessity there was many so that love could happen. Because God is in fact, as the Apostle Peter lays out for us, God, Apostle John, that God is Love. He's love. That's the very essence of who he is. He's, he's love like, like a fire is hot. The fire is hot because it's hot. That's what it is. Uh, the sun shines. Why? Because there's light. It, it doesn't try to do it. It just does it. I mean, it's, it's the essence of the sun. The sun stops shining. I suppose it's not the sun anymore. God is love in that sense. He was loved before we were created, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the mystery of the Trinity, of course, there's love within them. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Son, and so forth. There's, there's this harmony in the, in, of love in, 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 in God himself. Thus, when he creates, he creates those that would love. Because he's creating out of this self of him to reflect him. And so we're to be a loving society as God in himself is a loving society, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We created like that. And you know that sin messed up that whole thing. 
Adam and Eve decided to go on their own. Thus, they became estranged from God. And even in the midst of that, became estranged in some way from each other. As human beings are estranged from each other because we're all little selves. And we're all little selfish selves. And we're all looking out for our own little interests. And love, you see, obliterates that. Love says, no, that's wrong. That doesn't reflect God. Stop being estranged from him by way of Christ. And that will enable you to stop being estranged from one another. So Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, what will give that away more than anything else is that you're like me, that you love each other. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. In fact, if we look in chapter 14 of John's gospel, verse 15, Jesus puts it like this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, his commandment is to love one another as he's loved us. And so he said, not only is our love for each other important as our mark, it shows people who we are, that we belong to Jesus, but it shows that we love God. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. In fact, it's in this way of loving one another that we really get to know Jesus better. In verse 21 of John's Gospel, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If you want to get to know Jesus, the way that you do that is by loving. That reflects him. He says, if you love each other, you'll get to know me. I'll show myself to you. And then verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him. And we'll come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not keep my words, I'm sorry, whoever does not love, who does ever does not love me, does not keep my words. And the words that you hear, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And then he goes on in chapter 15 to say this about love. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, that is, if you love each other, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He says, if you want to, to abide in my love, what does that mean? It means you want to live there. If you want to remain there. If you want to always be there in my love. The way that you do that... To keep my commandments. What are his commandments? To love each other. If you're not loving each other, he says, you're not really living in me. And I'm telling you this so that your joy may be full. If you want to live a miserable life, be selfish. If you want to live a miserable life, don't love. But if you want to live a life filled with joy, he says, my kind of joy, the very joy that I know, then love each other. In fact, if you can follow this, this is an amazing point. Turn back earlier in chapter 15 of John's Gospel and verse 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now remember, he says that we abide in his love, not only by knowing his word, but by loving each other. We live in him as we love each other. So he's saying that we're to abide in him. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So he's saying, if you want to bear fruit, then you need to love each other. Because the way that you bear fruit is by abiding in me, and the way that you abide in me is by obeying my commandments, and here's what I'm telling you to do. Love each other. You want to bear fruit, real fruit. Love each other. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abide, words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Now let's walk through that one. He says, if, his, if we abide in him and his word abides in us. Now, how do we abide in him? He said... You abide in me, you obey my commandments. What's his commandments? So we love each other. So, the way that we abide in him, live in him, is by living out this life of love for one another. Now, what's his promise to those who live out this life of love for one another? He says, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, why do you think he can say that so boldly? It's because we're to pray in love. Very often our prayers are completely and utterly selfish. We wonder why God doesn't give us all those things we ask for. But he says here, if you're a lover of my people, that's the essence of your being. Talk to me. I'll help you. Because what does a lover of God's people ask for? God, enable me to help them. Enable them, enable me to love them more. Enable me to, to be your vessel, to go to them and, and help them in, in whatever way is best for them, whatever way is good for them. And God said, I'll do that. I'll help you love them if that's really your heart. Often Christians get very hung up from the passages in 1 Corinthians verses uh, chapters 12 and 14, especially on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and We want to find our gift and we want to know where we fit and all of that. But smack in the middle of that passage of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is 1 Corinthians 13. And he talks all about the gifts of the Spirit and and how valuable they are. And they're given by the Spirit according to His will and all of that. And it's good and they should be operative in the life of the church so that people can be helped. We read that and we say, okay... Tell me my gifts so I'll know what to do. And he says, no, that's not exactly why I put this here. I put this here to tell you how the body of Christ is to work, how the church is to work, that the Holy Spirit will give gifts, so relax, it'll happen. What you're to do is to pursue love. How do we see the gifts of the Spirit in operation? I know many of you have taken spiritual gift tests. I have too. And they're fine and they're good. Go ahead and take them and learn from them. But the way that we see the gifts of the Spirit at work in a body is to love each other. And when we're loving, we'll see the gifts of the Spirit happen. Because you see what happens when we begin to love is we realize how unable we are. We feel how we realize how incapable we really are of loving. I don't know about you, but I, and, and you know, I've been schooled and I've experienced and I, you know, I've been involved in all kinds of situations, and yet, when situations arise, I realize my own weakness to be able to do that which is probably most helpful. 
I just, I just don't know. And I, I feel pressed and I, I don't understand how am I, what's the best way to love here? And will it be effective if I do this or say that or go there or not? God, what's the best thing here? And that's when we begin to pray. God, help me. Help us. Help us really love, you see. And then he says, all right, good. And I'll send, if administration needs to happen, I'll send an administrator over there to help work out the details. I can't tell you how many times I've been involved in a situation where I know that I need to love somebody who has a need and I'm just completely incapable. And so I pray, and all of a sudden somebody shows up and organizes the whole situation. They go, whew, there you go. That's what needed to happen. That's good. Thank you, God. Often it's my wife, but, uh, but, but, but or, or I pray for someone in need financially, and I don't have the funds, I don't have the money, I don't know how that's going to happen, and, and God brings somebody in the midst of that, and, and the money comes, and they're helped. Or someone's discouraged, and, 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 and we say, how can we encourage this person in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of this situation? God, I feel so unable to do that. And so, yeah, what you think is this really weak conversation where you write this note and it just says God loves you and you go I should say more than that then you send it along and the person receives it and it's like heaven bursts forth in their heart God has given a gift you see it wasn't because I sought the gift I thought I sought to love this this person and so you see that's the significance of love it's tied into everything it's tied into our witness. It's our mark as believers in Christ. It's, it's, it's tied to, to our love for God as we obey him. That's how we do it. If we're not loving, we're not obeying. If we're not obeying, we're not honoring. If we're not honoring, we're not really loving him. And so, so, so our love for one another is tied into our, our worship of God in the vertical sense even. It's tied into our being in Jesus and, and getting to know him better as he manifests himself to us as we see him in the context of loving each other. If we're not loving each other, there's a whole dimension of Jesus we'll never see, we'll never know. We live in him by loving each other. And we see prayers being answered that otherwise wouldn't even be prayed because we wouldn't think of them, because we wouldn't be concerned about the other. So we're to love one another like that and then of course the apostle uh, Peter writes to us in 1 Peter in chapter 4 this he says the end of all things is at hand therefore be self controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers above all remember he's speaking in his mind he says the end of all things is near so it's nearer now, we should say. Above all, he says, keep loving one another. What should we do if, if you get here, read the end times literature? What should be your response to that? Well, first, your response should be to be skeptical to, about the details because it's just a lot of bad stuff out there. But secondly, your response should be if you ever think about the end coming, your response should be to love each other. That should be our response. He says to love one another. And he puts it like this, Peter does. He says earnestly. That is, you get the sense, I love the word earnestly because I read like earnestly. It's like the, there's this sense of something inside. It's a word that, that says you know, there's something inside of me that says I really want to do this. Earnestly. To love one another earnestly. It's not a dispassionate, disinterested caring. It's a 
interested caring. It's a desire that good happens for you. To love one another earnestly. He says, since love covers a multitude of sins. And he throws that in there to say, you're going to love people that you don't want to. You're going to have to overlook things in them that drive you crazy. might even hurt you. But you're still to love them. Because you see, when the end is coming, all those little details, they don't really matter. They don't really matter. I read a book once called Ernie Pyle's War. Ernie Pyle was a World War II correspondent, had a number of issues in his own life. But one of the things that he said was most profound. He said, life is very simple on the front lines. You don't need much. And right now, I forget because I hadn't planned it. I just thought of this. But he he mentioned a number of things that he needed. He said there were only three or four. I think it was you needed a dry place to sleep. You needed a helmet. And I think he said a pack of cigarettes. And there might have been one more thing. But he said you you just need few things on the front. And as Christians, we need to understand that we, we don't need that much. We don't have to be so concerned about all these things that drive us nuts. He said, it's simple. So he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, that is, love each other. Take each other in. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one, whoever speaks, speak as one who, who has the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory dominion forever and finally the apostle John as he writes his first epistle is most poignant and it appears as if he he picks up this sense of love that Jesus spoke of on that night that he was betrayed that John so faithfully laid out for us in his gospel and now he he kind of fleshes that out he says if we're going to 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 walk as Jesus walked we must walk in love and first John chapter 3 verse 10 he puts it like this he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and the children of the, of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. It's that crucial and even that simple. Chapter 4, verse 7, he puts it like this. He said, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He said, listen, this is what you've been born again to do. This is who you've been born again to be, one who loves. That image of God was broken because of sin. Now it's being renewed. You've been born again, new self, new creation, new heart, new life, abiding in Jesus. What does that mean? It means you'll love each other because that's now who you are. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That ought means we ought to love like birds ought to, ought to fly, like fish ought to swim. It isn't an ought in the sense of, 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 oh, you have a choice about this. It's an ought that says this is who you are. God is love, and now in that sense, so are you. In his image made to, to love one another. And we know the example of that love. Chapter 3, verse 16, John puts it like this. He says, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
That's, that's, again, one of those suck air passages. It's unlikely that any of us will literally die for the other. Could happen, I suppose, could happen that we're put in that place. But you see, love always means we die. There's always a death that happens when we die, uh, when we love. And, and that death is that we die to ourselves, our own pleasures, our own likes. Uh, to one who is patient dies to his own desires for a trouble-free life. Not too long ago, I was at another church, and I was going to speak, so they're interviewing me beforehand. And, and uh, I shocked the guy, person interviewing me because he said, what's your passion in life? And normally when they ask you that, and there's hundreds of people out there listening to somebody you're supposed to be really spiritual. And I said, well, sadly, my passion is to live a trouble-filled, a trouble-free life. That's what I really, I really want that. And he looked at me with his blank look, and the silence got deafening because I didn't say something that he expected me to say about, you know, winning the world for Christ or something. And, uh, and so in the midst of that silence, I said, no, I say that by way of confession. I'm really sorry that that's it. I need to die to that so that I'm willing to be patient and kind and bear with others. But really, if you ask me on the, early in the morning what you'd like to happen today, I'd say nothing. <laughs> you know, this, I'm fine right now. This is good. This is all right. Uh, but so we have to die to that. We have to die to these things in us that, that our own way, in order to be patient, in order to be kind, in order to bear with each other, to bear with another person, you have to die to, to your own agenda. You have to die to, to, to wanting to be autonomous. You have to, you have to die to, to any desire in you to, to, to sort of live according to your own way and be willing, therefore, then to take on the burden of another. To forgive means you have to die to, to this sense of justice and be willing to reconcile even though there's still pain. So you have to give up our lives, you see, to love. And then he's very practical, John, in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in knees yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He says it's very practical and sacrificial to be able to to give. And again, this isn't an objective thing. There's, there is a measure of feeling here. Of course, the closer, the more we feel, if you will. But we have to be cautious. Feeling isn't necessarily love. And there are times when we have to do those acts of love, even though the feelings aren't there. That's why some have com- been compelled to make statements like love is, is a decision. It's not a feeling. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far. It's more than a feeling. And it certainly is a decision. But We desire for both to be there because, you see, love, the final instance, it seems to me, is that which is true of someone who's been born of God and thus is one who's being renewed in the image of Christ and therefore to walk in him. It's one who's received the very love of God in such a way that it overflows and overwhelms in such a way that then we're compelled, really, to love God others to be like that because that's who we are and there is this sense always of of joy in that that sense of joy in in knowing that another is being helped and that that other who is being helped we pray will ultimately give glory to God and give him thanks that's this sense of love where they then would be turned 
to God. And that fills us great joy. I pray there's nothing else in me, nothing else in our lives that satisfies us as much as that. To know the joy of having been involved in someone else's life, even if it means sacrifice. Perhaps most especially if it means sacrifice. And see them turn and give thanks to God. That's love. Let's pray, Father. I pray for me and for us that we would love. I confess that there are times when I'm stymied as to what to do, how to do it. But I pray that you would work in me and work in us a knee-jerk reaction. That we would get to our knees and we would cry out to you that you would help us love. And even as we cry out to you to help us love, I pray that there's a sense of assurance that goes through us It says, oh, I'm praying this because I belong to God. I'm abiding in Jesus. And that joy would overwhelm us, overflow, that we would desire more earnestly to care for the needs of others, most especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. So help us, I pray, that we would be a loving people, that we would show that we belong to Jesus, that we would love you by loving others, that we would abide in Jesus, that we would get to know him better as he manifests himself to us as we love. May we know there's no option here. May we know that this is life and this is the joy of our lives. To love. Cause us to think, Father, of the ones easiest to love, and we give you thanks for them, for they bring us great joy. Father, bring to mind those most difficult for us to love. For I believe you've planted them in our lives to give us even greater joy. Help us to love those in particular in our congregation and Need we think of Jim and Madeline Van this morning and the loss of their daughter Charity this this weekend. I pray for our dear brother Jim and you would be with him and help him and his wife and their family in their grief and cause us, God, to love them well in these days. For others, Father, who are sick and hurting in our congregation, we pray we may love them well. They may know that love and and feel very secure in you because of it and turn and give you thanks. And Jesus, we thank you for your work in us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for bringing Christ close to us and convincing us of his truth and bringing him to live within us. And now I pray that we manifest his presence. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.
our response to the benediction will be to sing together. Please receive this as God's benediction. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. And together let us sing.